Okay, welcome back to RUF. Uh, what a passage, huh? You're new to RUF. One of the things that we do is we march straight through books of the Bible. And one of the advantages of that, I don't know, it might be a disadvantage <laughs> for me, uh, but it forces you to deal with hard passages, uh, crazy passages like the one that we're looking at tonight. Uh, we are studying the book of Revelation this semester. And tonight we're at a turning point in the book. Uh, tonight, business picks up. Because we are introduced to the dragon in chapter 12. And so the topic over the next couple of weeks is a difficult one. A difficult one for me to actually talk about with you, if I'm honest. But also a very difficult one, I think, for you, the hearer, as well. Because the theme, or the topic, over the next couple of weeks is spiritual conflict or spiritual warfare. And so, before we dig in, let's pray, because we need God to help us with this passage tonight. So let's pray that He would come through His Spirit. Pray with me. Father, this is a difficult passage. Some of us tonight, as we look at this passage, are going to have a hard time submitting to a belief in Satan as being a reality. Others of us know him all too well because we have experienced that conflict. Father, I pray that wherever we are tonight, that you would give us faith, that we would trust in your word over our experiences, over what even we think is possible. And I pray particularly for those that are here that are in anguish over the accusations of Satan himself that he is throwing at them. Would you convince them tonight that their debts are completely paid and that he no longer has a grip on them? Father, we need Jesus. We need your spirit to help us. And would you come and work in our midst tonight? It's in your name we pray. Amen. In the 1860s, there was a physician by the name of Ignaz Semmelweis. I'm not good at Hungarian, but his name was Ignaz Semmelweis. He was actually a surgeon. More specifically, he was an obstetrician. He delivered babies. And he was really consumed during his study and his research as a physician with infant mortality. He could not get over the fact that so many babies during that time were dying at birth. And so he came out with this very crazy theory, and here it is. Before delivering babies, surgeons should wash their hands. Crazy. Even crazier is that medical community during that time totally cast him out and said, this guy is completely nuts. Who is he to come into our community and to blame us? Because you see, they were offended. Because in a sense, he was saying that the surgeons were bringing the disease to the child, therefore causing the child's death. How dare you, the physician said, come and blame us for the infant mortality rate. It affected Semmelweis so deeply 
And the pressure was so great on him that he actually spent the last years of his life in an asylum. Fast forward a couple of years, and there is a man by the name of Louis Pasteur. That name might sound familiar to some of you. But he did lots of research, and a few years after Semmelweis died, Pasteur confirmed the existence of, yes, that's right, germs. That is the craziest thing. Because up until that point, children are dying at birth from an enemy that no one knew existed. And I tell you that story because in a similar way tonight, people are being accused, people are being tormented, and people are being attacked by an enemy that most of the people in this room tonight doesn't believe exist. You see, some of you tonight are so wildly confused at how your life is going. You're so wildly confused at your inability and your having a hard time and your constant failure at standing up against temptation when it comes your way. And you're trying to find natural explanations for it. Well, I'm struggling and things are so hard for me because my parents got a divorce. Or... I just need to try harder and I need to get up and I need to be more disciplined because I'm not a disciplined person. Or you're saying things like, I've just got to read my Bible more. And John comes to all of us tonight in Revelation chapter 12 and he pulls back the curtain and says that behind the curtain of your experience, there is not an impersonal force, but a personality that is dead set on your misery. And John, if you listen to the passage being read, calls him the devil, which literally means adversary, slanderer, deceiver. The word devil actually conveys this image of someone waiting in ambush for you to attack you and destroy your pleasure and joy in the Christian life. His intent is to make you supremely unhappy. He delights in your pain. He laughs at you when, you're, when you weep. And he even despises that you're here in this room tonight listening to the Word of God preached. Have you ever wondered why in the world the Christian life is so difficult? Have you ever wondered why you feel so beat up? Revelation chapter 12 is the answer because John comes and says, you're in a war. And you might say, well, Jason, it doesn't feel like I'm in a war. It feels like peacetime because we're in beautiful Oxford, Mississippi on one of the most beautiful campuses in the world. Remember, things are not as they seem. And tonight, John pulls back the curtain. And he says, let me show you a heavenly conflict that is going on right at this very moment that is more real than what you can see and smell and hear and touch in the physical world. 
And he shows us this conflict, and he's actually being gracious to us, because you know what he's doing? He's saying, I want you to help make sense of your life by showing you what's really going on as we speak. And so that's the hope, is that as we look at this passage, that you actually are encouraged, but you actually are able to make greater sense of your experience. Two things tonight. You can see there's an outline printed for you. Two points. War and the weapons. We're going to look at those two things, the war and the weapons. Let's look at number one, the war. And let me say this on the front end, is we're going, this is, there's going to be a lot of teaching in this first point. But I think it's very, very important. And I think you'll find it interesting as well. And so the first thing let's look at is who's engaged in this war. John gives us three characters, a woman, a child, and a dragon. Who's the woman? Well, most commentators are in agreement that the woman represents the Old Testament people of God. Well, there's a hint in, look at verse 1, the 12 stars remind us and point us to the 12 tribes of Israel. But even more than that, in Isaiah 66, 7, Israel is described as a mother in childbirth, giving birth for the good of her children, Israel meaning the Old Testament people of God. The child. Who's the child? Look at verse 5. A direct quote from Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 is a messianic psalm. And what that means, simply put, is that it's a psalm about Jesus. So in other words, the child is Jesus Christ himself. The dragon. Well, the dragon's an easy one because really from one of the only times in the book of Revelation, John throws us a bone and tells us exactly who the dragon is. Look at verse 9. It's the devil. You have all these names. The deceiver, the accuser, the devil. And I want to slow down here just for a second. Because I want to acknowledge that for some of you sitting here, that sounds so strange to be talking about the devil. Our modern ears hear that and it sounds nuts. And it sounds maybe even laughable to some of you as you sit here tonight. But before, I ask that you would delay your judgments on the reality of the devil. And I want to ask you to consider this. If you are going to consider the Christian faith, then you have to hit this topic of Satan and the devil head on. Because it's all over the Bible. The Bible actually presents the devil as someone, not as a mythic person, but as a real thinking and living being. Jesus Christ considered the devil to be a rational being. Other scholars throughout history, Christians like C.S. Lewis, said that the devil is nothing to laugh about. And he wrote a whole book about it called The Screwtape Letters. And if you haven't read that, you should. Listen to what he says in the introduction. There are two equal and opposite errors in which we can fall into about the devil and demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. And the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Then listen to this. He says, they themselves are equally pleased by both heirs. In hell, a materialist or a magician 
with the same delight. See, what he's saying is that on the one hand, you can be overly obsessed with demons and live your whole life in fear, thinking that the devil is around every corner waiting to pounce on you. Or you can deny the existence and be naive. And in our culture, we struggle with the latter. You've heard it said in The Usual Suspects, the greatest trick the devil has ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. And if that is true, then we are all being mindlessly duped by that trick in Oxford, Mississippi. See, what we need to understand is that the biblical worldview is not that there's a God and an equally powerful anti-God. That would be dualism. Now, the Bible says that God is the creator and everyone and everything else is a creature, including Satan. Look at verse 8. It indicates that Satan was an angel, a very powerful angel. If you look at verse 3, with the heads and the horns... And he decided to choose power instead of love. And he was actually thrown out and cast out of heaven. heaven, And he is wreaking havoc on the world as we speak. But then the question is, why the child? Why is the dragon going after the child? Well, simply put, because he hates the child. Look at verse 9. Very interesting. That ancient serpent, does that sound familiar? That immediately takes us back to where? Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. We heard Satan, he is, looks, he is referred to as a serpent. And God is talking to him in Genesis 3.15. And listen to what he says. I will put hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, and he, meaning Jesus, will crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Satan hates the child. Because the child, Jesus, is the promised seed who has come into the world and who will defeat evil and Satan once and for all by crushing his head. And friends, that is the that battle... It's the storyline that runs throughout the entire Bible and is alive and well today. Think about it. You get to the New Testament. Jesus is born, and what happens? What do people want to do to him? What did Herod want to do? Kill him. He gets older, and the religious leaders want to kill him. And they finally succeed by taking Jesus and nailing him to a cross and crucifying him and killing him. But here's where it gets interesting. On the cross, Jesus took the devil's strategy and used it against him. Because remember, it's through the death of Jesus and through the blood of Jesus and through the cross of Jesus that you are saved. And that your sins are forgiven and that you have new life. Not only that, we see three days later, Jesus rose victoriously from the dead in his resurrection. And the dragon is ticked off. 
He is ticked off because he knows he's defeated and he's pouring out all of his fury on God's people. He knows that he cannot get to Jesus and destroy him. And so what does he do? Look at the passage. He says, I know I can't destroy Jesus, so I'm going after those that are closest to Jesus. His children. His church. He's going after you. If you identify with Jesus tonight and you're in this room, think about it this way. It's recorded that Hitler during D-Day came to his generals or his gen- yeah, came to his generals and said to them, what are we going to do in light of the Allied victory after victory after victory after victory? And his generals looked at Hitler and they said, what do you mean what are we going to do? We're going to make peace. Because if we don't make peace, everything else that we have is going to be destroyed. And you know what Hitler did? He fired every single one of them and fought to the last bullet. Why? Because that's what evil does. And that's what Satan is doing today. He knows the battle is won, but he refuses to surrender. And so the battle rages on and he's going to fight to the last bullet until every bit of evil is unleashed on the world and on his people. And so what do we do with this? Two applications. There's more, but here's a couple. Wake up. Open your eyes. We need to realize that there is actually a war going on, that it is not, despite what we might think, it is not peacetime. It's wartime. And if you don't think about the devil, be sure that he thinks about you. He knows your name, he knows when you're growing spiritually. And he knows when you're struggling spiritually. And he thinks about those things very shrewdly. Because he's a great theologian and a wonderful psychologist. And I think when we realize that there's a war, it actually helps helps us with the second application. And that is when we understand the fact that there's a war going on, it helps us to remember who the enemy is. And here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes, we think that our enemy is our roommate or our sorority sister or our fraternity brother or our friend or our parents or our sibling. And when you get married, trust me, I've been there a lot, you think your spouse is the enemy. And we get so angry at the people that we're in the foxhole fighting with. And so we point the gun at them instead of pointing the gun at the enemy. Friends, the war, Paul says in Ephesians, is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities of darkness. 
that are alive and well in the heavenly places. And so the takeaways from this first point, there is a war. And secondly, don't point the gun at your fellow soldier. Keep the gun pointed at the enemy. Secondly, the weapons. I want to make a quick note. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but I am going to just reference it. Okay, and then we're going to get on to the weapons. But one thing that I think is interesting is look at how the dragon fights and when he attacks. Look at verse 4. The woman is in the middle of childbirth. She's defenseless. Her guard is down. And the point is, friends, Satan comes at you in the midst of your own vulnerability. He starts his attack when you're weak and when you're depressed and when you're tired and when you're overwhelmed and when you're disappointed. That's when the warfare begins. And so it should be no surprise to us that you struggle oftentimes with pornography late at night when you're tired and stressed and lonely. It should be no surprise that in the middle of midterms you get sick and you get depressed and you start to think things like, do I really belong here? God, are you out there? Are you with me in the middle of this? Because you're not exercising, you're not eating right, you're not sleeping right, and your body is weak. And when it is weak, you are most susceptible to the attacks of the evil one. Think about the woman and when he attacked her. He's wagging and beating his tail as she's giving birth, as she's she's defenseless. We'll move on, but I think that's a very interesting point. It's in the midst of your vulnerability that the devil begins to attack you. But what are the weapons that he uses? Look at verse 9. One of the main tactics of the devil is deceit. He's called the deceiver of the world. And so the devil never comes in the front door. He's not going to come in the front door with a red suit and a pitchfork and say, worship me. No. He'll come in the back door and he will lie to you and deceive you. And it might look something like this. The reason why you had a bad day is because God doesn't like you. Or your broken heart, the reason why he broke up with you is because you're not good enough. And God doesn't really care. Or maybe it looks like you really pray and earnestly want something and you don't get it. And so all of a sudden this voice comes in. God's holding out on you. God really doesn't want you to be happy or He would give you that thing or let you do a certain thing that He prohibits in His Word. Or maybe it looks like this. You know, if you really want to advance socially and if you really want to get that career that you've always dreamed of, 
and get that dream job and be popular and successful, then all you need to do is hide your faith. Because that's the way you get there. He deceives and lies. Not only that, we see that another weapon is he accuses us. He brings accusation. Look at verse 10. He's called the accuser because he accuses day and night. And some of you know this full well that there is power in being accused. To the point that you start starts to become your identity and you start to believe it. You see, Satan has a file on every single person in this room that he keeps open 24-7. And he writes down every time you blow it. Every time you're mean to your roommate. Every time you gossip about your friends. Every time you're a jerk to one of your fraternity brothers. Every time you choose yourself and put yourself over people instead of serving them in love, he writes it down. And he's very, very diligent. And periodically, he takes that file. And some of you, it seems more than periodically. And he shoves it in your face. And he says, look at this. And you call yourself a Christian? Look at the things that you've done. And he might say something like this, are you really going to go share the love of Christ with that girl when 15 minutes ago you were gossiping about your roommate? You're a terrible person. God could never use you. Or maybe it goes something like this. Are you really going to march in here on Wednesday night at RUF and sing these songs? And take notes during the message as if you're spiritual and a religious person when we all know what you did last weekend. Or maybe it gets even more personal. Maybe Satan comes at you with the accusations that are way deeper and way more hurtful and he says, you're a nobody. You're a piece of trash. And no one wants to be with you. No one wants you in their friend group. Your parents divorce, that's your fault. The death of your friend, that's on you. Oh yeah. And you're going to be single because no guy would ever want to be with you. Because who would want to be with you? It gets personal, doesn't it? The darts come and they come roaring into your life and it's so accusation is so powerful because you at one point and oftentimes you start to believe that those things are true and that's why accusation and accusing is such a powerful weapon of the evil one so those are de- the devil's weapons what are our weapons 
How do we fight? Well, look at verse 11. Notice it says they conquer him, meaning, and I think that's important, they conquer him. The battle is not up for grab, friends. The battle is won. But how is it won? How do they fight? Two ways. The word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. Let's look at the first one, the word of their testimony. What does that mean? Have you ever had a thought when you wondered and asked this question, am I right to bank my life on this stuff? Have you ever had the thought of like, am I an idiot to walk into RUF and to sing these songs and to talk about someone that I can't see? If we're honest, we've all been there and asked those questions, haven't we? That is why the Apostle John is so concerned with the word of our testimony. And the word of testimony, he is consumed with it. And if you look at the Gospel of John and look at Revelation, all throughout it, he's talking about the word of testimony. He's talking about and uses the word witness. Brian Habig, a former campus minister, I love what he says. He says, John is the guy that grabs you by the collar and says, I saw him. I ate with him. I heard him speak. I touched him. And then when you try to walk away, John grabs you and says, no, it's true. I can testify that I saw him. And I wrote everything down when there were witnesses. Why? So that you can know what he did and what he said and who Jesus is. And so what does that mean for us? It means that we've got to immerse ourselves in this book called the Bible because it's the word of testimony. And it's through the word of testimony that we can do battle and fight against the lies and the deception of the enemy. Because it's only through knowing the word of testimony that we're able to counteract the lies and know what is really true. What does it look like? What well, looks like this. God doesn't care about me. But then the word of the testimony comes in and says, but wait. Matthew chapter 5. Consider this. If God clothes the lilies of the field and feeds the birds of the air, how much more will He care for you, His child? And the word of testimony comes at you when you're trying to figure out what you're going to do when you graduate and you feel all alone. The word of testimony comes when Satan is saying, God doesn't care about you. The word of testimony comes and says, there's not a hair that's going to fall from your head unless your Father in heaven knows it. He's got you. And you're secure. And so you see what this means, don't you? It means that when there is something inside of you that says, I think I'm just going to take a nap. I think I'm just going to study. I don't need to go to RUF. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go to my fellowship group or a small group. Go worship. Go. Go and hear the word of testimony. 
Go and sing the word of testimony that we sing in these songs. Get in your small group and talk about Jesus and read about Jesus. Why? Because it's how you do war and it's how you fight the deception and the lies of the enemy and it's how they're exposed for what they really are, lies. Secondly, that's not the only weapon. Verse 11. We also fight not only with the word of testimony, but with the blood of the Lamb. What does it look like to fight with the blood of the Lamb? The accuser comes to you and says, how can you call yourself a Christian when you blank? Fill in the blank with whatever it is that you want to fill it in with. Or when he comes to you and says, you're unworthy to be in this place. The blood of the Lamb. You can't miss this. The blood of the Lamb allows you to stand and to look the accuser in the eye and say, bring it. You don't know the half of it. I've got a Lamb. And this Lamb called Jesus came into the world not to save the righteous, but He came to save sinners. So what else do you got in that file? Because I can take whatever it is you got. Because the blood of the Lamb comes and takes away the sin of the world. And if He takes away the sin of the world, He covers everything that's in your file. Reminded me of a story, and I'll close with this. story that I heard several years ago about a man who was in England... And he had a Rolls Royce. He was an owner of a Rolls Royce. And he was going on vacation and was going to tour Europe. And so he took that Rolls Royce, put it on a boat, took it across the English Channel, and took that car and drove it all around Europe on his trip. And at some point, about halfway through, the car breaks down. He has no idea what to do. And so he picks up the phone and he calls Rolls Royce and he says, I own a Rolls Royce. Here's the serial number or whatever, and tell me what I need to do to get this fixed. I'm in the middle of my vacation. Rose Royce said, stay right where you are. We're putting a mechanic on a plane, and we're sending him across the ocean, and he's going to come fix your car. The mechanic shows up, fixes the car. The man gets in the car and finishes his vacation, and the whole time he's thinking, what in the world did this just cost me? So he gets back to England and he wants to keep short accounts and so he writes a letter to Rose Royce and says, Dear Rose Royce, I was on vacation. My car broke down. You sent a mechanic on a plane to come fix it. What do I owe you? Listen to his response that he got from Rose Royce. Dear sir, there is no record anywhere in our files that anything has ever gone wrong with a Rolls Royce. There is no record in any of God's files, and that is the only file that really matters, that anything has ever gone wrong with a sinner that is covered by the blood of the Lamb. No matter how loudly your accusations come at you, the blood of the Lamb screams louder. If you're a Christian, 
You're in a war. And your only hope of survival is the word of testimony and to stand and be covered by the blood of the Lamb. That's an invitation. Let's pray.